you open your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, and by the way, you all have Bibles because you all have phones, uh, you can look on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Jesus said, blessed, happy, joyful, to spiritually be blessed. Are you, when others revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, not on your account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown under and trampled under men's feet. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house." In the same way, let your light shine before others, here's the payoff, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So every year, new words creep into the English language. Uh, the English language has over a million words, most expressive language in the world. Hebrew only has about 50,000 words, so English is an amazing language. But these new words creep in all the time, and a new word that creeped in years ago was a word called an influencer. All the young people know what influencers are. An influencer is someone who gets paid tens of thousands, maybe millions of dollars to wear jewelry and sneakers and tease out their hair, whatever. I'll give you some inside baseball on this one. I talked to somebody in the industry. Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, he and his wife fit an amazing demographic. They were paid a million dollars for three Instagram pictures of changing their baby's diapers. They are influencing the world of people that buy diapers. That is good work if you can get it. And the reason I bring that up is because we started the Sermon on the Mount last week. And in a setting just like this, Jesus sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, listen, about the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? Who really is a believer? We could put it in the vernacular, who really is a Christian? And you have to understand, Jesus brought the kingdom. He didn't just talk about it, he brought it, right? When Jesus was around, blind eyes opened, deaf the deaf heard, dead people like Lazarus were raised. A lot of good things happened when Jesus was around. Now he sits at the right hand of God and he's in us, I get all that. But basically through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's using you and me now. I love that dialogue with Pilate. Wish I could have been there. Where Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus said, did somebody tell you that or did you figure it out on your own? I love Jesus' sarcasm. And he said, rightfully you have said, I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my soldiers would fight, or I think I can add on, or I would build the kingdom politically. He said, but my kingdom's not of this world. And he died on a cross, and he rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And now the kingdom works through you and me. We have no enduring city. The kingdom now is within you and me. The kingdom now, what believers look like now are not people that wear white shirts and black ties and knock on doors. We don't have poofy hair or big eyelashes. We don't have beards and tats. You know, there, there's nothing we look like that defines us. There's nothing we do. It's all about who we are. And whatever you heard about the, the Sermon on the Mount, understand this. Jesus begins to talk about those 
who are already in the kingdom. And he begins with the Beatitudes, these nine characteristics, and he says, blessed, the happiest person in the world is the one who's poor in spirit. Now, I have to go through this again because where we live on the East Coast is a hard nut to crack. A person who is poor in spirit, please listen to me, is a person who, whether they were sick and tired of being sick and tired, or whether they had achieved ultimate success, realized that in the eyes of God, they were in big trouble. That they were sinners that need to be saved by grace, and they got down on a knee and asked Christ to forgive them, and by grace he did, not of their works, lest they should boast, not because they gave it an offering or attended a church service or read a Bible, They walked into the waters of baptism, and the Bible says there was a metamorphosis. They went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They became a new creation. They are poor in spirit. Now, out of that poverty of spirit, Jesus said, they're blessed because they mourn. They mourn their spiritual condition. They mourn the idea that, you know, this new character of God has come in, but they still fail, right? So, you know, I mourn when I'm short with people, when I'm angry, when I'm lustful, right? It's not what I want to be. It's not what I long to be, and God's grace is there. But we also mourn for the condition of the world, right? So Kay Smith died two weeks ago. She was the wife of the founder of Calvary Chapel, one of the greatest revivals of the last two centuries. And if you don't know the backstory, we have magazines that are free all around, Calvary Chapel magazines, where we find out that Kay, from a young age, in the turbulent 60s, right? You think today's bad? The 60s, really tumultuous. And Kay had a heart for these kids that were turning to drugs and, you know, turning out and turning into Eastern mysticism. And she would go down and pray for them at Huntington Beach. And her husband gets a lot of the credit, but it was her mourning that led, I believe, to that revival. And the rest of the Beatitudes just talk about who we are. We're, we're meek, we'll inherit the earth, we're pure in heart, we'll see God. It goes on and on and on. And then Jesus hands out three metaphors, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. He says, you, 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 are the salt of the earth. You're a city set on a hill. You're the light of the world. And the people listening were probably like you this morning, beat down, discouraged, right? These people were under the heel of Rome. On their coins was a picture of Caesar, and it broke their commandments about no graven images. They were beat down by religion, temple tax. The high priest Annas and Caiaphas were corrupt. The Sadducees fought with the uh, Pharisees, the religious leaders. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 you're salt. You're light. In fact, you're a city set on a hill. I know you have this, prob- this um, promise of Abraham, but that's, you're going to far exceed that. You're not only going to have dominion here, it's going to go all into the world. Salt, light, city on a hill. Let's go through the three metaphors because it's who you are. And by the way, it's not who you can become. You can't take a Calvary campus on how to be saltier. You can't buy a book on seven steps to being more of a light, or how to be a city. You already are. That's the idea. So let me remind you, 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 all of you, are the salt of the earth. Now, we all grew up with a little Morton salt on the table, right? I'm really not a salt guy. I don't really season with salt. Salt has invaded my pantry, I'll tell you that. I don't know how it got there. Rock salt, sea salt, pink salt, right? There's all this designer salt around, right? 
Uh, it's crazy. Um, salt, we season. We live in the Northeast, so when it snows, we salt our roads, right? What Jesus was talking about is salt as a preservative. So in that day, without refrigeration, meat and fish would have to be preserved by salt. This is a true story. When the Americas were founded, um, the Portuguese discovered that halfway between here in America, about 1,000 miles from each direction, was an area called the Grand Banks. Um, it's one of the great fishing troughs in the world, and they would go 1,000 miles by sail, hard to believe, to catch as much cod as they could, and they would brine and salt it, and it would last for weeks, and they would bring it back to Europe. It's amazing. So salt was a preservative. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are the salt of the earth. He's making an indictment on culture. What Jesus is saying is culture is morally rotten. It's in decay. Now, please hear me out. I didn't, see, I didn't say man couldn't do great things. I didn't say man could achieve. God put his spirit in man. Man is smart. Man is brilliant. Man is creative. Uh, Walter Isaacson's one of my favorite biographers along with McCullough. I read everything they write. So I was so glad when Isaacson came out with a new book. You know, I've read... Um, Leonardo da Vinci and Einstein and, you know, he, he writes Steve Jobs, right? Usually dead people are people that achieved. And Walter Isaacson, I think we have a picture of it, writes a book with a woman on the cover I had never heard of. And she comes from the world of science. And it's about gene editing. Her name is Jennifer Dwadna. Gene editing in the future of the human race. Listen to what one commentator said. The Code Breaker is another Walter Isaacson must read. This time he has a heroine who will be for the ages. A worldwide cast of remarkable, fiercely competitive scientists. You heard a lot about scientists lately. And his stories of discoveries, this is a bold statement, that will change our lives far greater than the iPhone ever did. My gosh, book's scary. The, the book really chronicles what my friend Andy Crouch once said, where we live through an industrial revolution, a technological information revolution, the next revolution will be a biological, where life is no longer begotten but made. We're moving towards Genesis chapter six. It's scary. At a time when man can achieve greatness, like the Tower of Babel, God said there's nothing that can stop them, we'll change the language. Morally, we are bankrupt. And Jesus said in a morally bankrupt society, you, 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 all of us, the church collectively, individually, we're the salt of the earth. Wow, salt of the earth. We're preserving the world. Can you believe that? On this little lawn, we are preservative. I think of Scott Harrison. Uh, I've talked about Scott so much. We sold over 300 books called Thirst. This is a guy who was a nightclub uh, influencer, made a ton of money. Long story short, he gets burnt out, sick and tired of being sick and tired, accepts Jesus Christ. He's broke. He decides to go on mercy ships. He's on mercy ships. He travels the third world, and he notices these yellow jer jerry cans where you know about a billion people don't have access to clean drinking water. And Scott, who takes pictures and writes, he said, I think I can make a difference. And the result, years later, is Charity Water, one of the greatest outreaches in history. Forbes has it listed in the top 20 NGOs in the world right now. Can Scott end world thirst? No. 
but he's a preservative, and everybody that surrounded him. Gary Haugen with Sex Trafficking at IJM, Compassion International, all of you that sponsor kids are preserving the moral decay of our world. This has always amazed me. Jesus said, you, just you, are the preservative. You gotta think this through. And you gotta let it penetrate your mind to understand culture. Some people will say to me, Pastor Bob, I can't buy that. You know, my grandmother's a good person and you know, man has done so many great things. So, so let, me, let me bring you another illustration. It's 1913. We're all in one of the great capitals of Europe. It's cold, it's snowing outside, but we're warm inside. Men are wearing tuxedos, women fine dresses. Uh, live instruments are playing Mozart and Beethoven. People have traveled 300 miles by train to get there, which was impossible 100 years before that. A man has just sent a telegram to Japan. Another businessman is importing spices from India. In 1913, if you were in Europe, you would have thought you were on the cusp of a golden age. And then New Year's Day 1914 comes. And for the next 31 years to 1945, 100 million of your fellow Europeans would have lost their lives, not through pandemics or disasters, but through political initiative of pogroms and Holocaust and planned starvation. And we're not even looking at Russia, China, or Africa. Paul said it best in 2 Timothy when he said in the last days, and that's really the time after Jesus rose, that perilous times would come. This is, this is what culture would look like. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. My favorite word, brutal, it says it all. Taylor just laughed at that. Awesome. You guys are too hot to laugh. Despisers of good. You all need to buy hats. I keep saying that. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Does that fit America? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. How about this? Have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Wow. But Jesus said, in this, you are the salt of the earth. Second metaphor. You're the light of the world. You, you, you. You're the light of the world. This one's easy, right? Light expels darkness. Do you ever walk in a room and you're too lazy to turn the light on and then, boom, you just bang your toe on something? I mean, you just trip over the place. You think, I know my way around this room and then there's something there, right? Light illuminates things. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. God is light. Well, he's made you the light of the world. Man is walking in darkness. Man doesn't know where he came from. He thinks he came from an ape or a whale, but that's not true. He thinks a hundred things about moral conundrums, none of them are true. This is why when God comes into your life, your picture of the world changes and many times you change your belief on cultural things. Jesus said the blind follow the blind and they both fall into the ditch. And the blindness in our world predominantly is spiritual. When people think about eternal life, if they think about it, I met a woman who was 45 years old, had a stroke, she was at a wedding, and she said, until I had this stroke, I never thought about eternity. 
And I'm like, how could you live 45 years and never think about the afterlife? And what people think about the afterlife is strange if they think about it all. I think about when I was in college, we were driving one day and everybody was talking about, hey, what do you believe? How did you grow up? And I said, well, you know what I believe? I think we're going to live multiple lives until we're good enough. And then when we're good enough, we'll go to heaven. And the girl next to me said, you know, I think I'll adopt that. And I look back and I'm thinking, I was 18 years old, stupid. There's no logic to that. We don't even know how we got here. How can we live multiple lives? How do you get back here? Like, it's all bunk. And yet she's like, I think they'll adopt that. Man is spiritually blind. But you are the light of the world. Every time you walk in a room, the light goes on. Uh, I worked for the Boeing company for 12 years, and, you know, uh, people would make fun of me all the time. You know, they would take their shoes off and kneel on their shoes and say, heal me, you know, things like that, or call me into their cubicle and say, hey, I got to show you this diagram, and there'd be like a centerfold, a Playboy open, you know, there people razzing me all the time. But then people would take me aside individually when the crowd wasn't there. My gosh, my marriage is on the rocks. And I've watched you all these years. Is there anything you can share with me? Or I lost my mom, I lost my dad, I'm going through this breakdown or whatever. People are watching, they know you have the light, they know, Pilate knew, Jesus knew something about truth. Now, the third metaphor, you guys are really glad because you know there's only three and I'm on the third. The third metaphor is my favorite, you are an influencer. You're salt, you're light, you're a city on a hill. Now, we don't build cities on hills anymore. Why would we? It's too hard to get all the resources up the hill. But in the ancient world, they would build cities on a hill for defense, and they would build a wall around it. But the people listening to Jesus knew of a city on a hill. It was called Jerusalem. When you read the back end of the Psalms, there's these Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, on the feast days, they would all sing about going up to Jerusalem because wherever you came from all over the world, you had to go up. Jerusalem is a city on a hill. They would also so, so think about cities of refuge. These were these cities in the Old Testament God designed. No one was more than an hour away from any one of these cities where you could flee the manslayer. Who's that? Well, if you had committed murder or a crime accidentally by manslaughter, you know, it was an eye for an eye. Someone would take your life but you could flee to this city and find protection until people work things out. Now, the writer of Hebrews, man, nailed this one. In Hebrews chapter nine, where it says, we, those who accepted Christ, we have fled to Christ. He is our refuge. He's the city of refuge. So we are a city on a hill. People are looking at us again and they can see our light. A city on a hill, Jesus said, man, that light could be seen for miles, and with modern technology, you can see it from an airplane. The influence would be grand and long, and Matthew would say the gospel would go into all the world. I was meditating about Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, all the churches it birthed, all the baptisms, Chuck Smith on the cover of Life Magazine, 1968, the thousands of baptisms, the influence, it comes to the East Coast, the Jesus movement. You see, salt's cheap. It's almost worthless. That rock salt you buy at Wawa costs about 10 cents. They charge you eight, nine dollars. 
Uh, outside of the three uses I mentioned, that there's, Jesus said you could just throw it on the ground. It's useless. But man, it can do a lot when it gets into what it's supposed to do. See, we're all tricked in this idea that our tribe is small and we are weak, and that's true. But I think if you talk to Chuck and Kay Smith, and that's why they love this verse, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. God, yeah, how old are you? 11-year-old boy is the only one that clapped. When God's spirit decides to do something, he can do it. He sent one reluctant man to Nineveh and the entire nation, the capital of Assyria, a ruthless empire like North Korea, all got saved. That's all it takes for God. Just God's decision to go. But God needs somebody. Now, you don't want to be Jonah, right? You know, you don't want to, Jonah was willing to die for the guys on the ship, but not for the people of Nineveh. He wasn't even willing to go and preach. The salt has to come out of the salt shaker, people. The light has to come out of the basket. The city's got to be set on a hill. You are the salt and light of the world. You can go where we can't go. You can go where live stream can't go. Cubicles and basketball courts and corporations and Apple and Google. God has his people everywhere. Collectively, what can we do? I've been to conferences where I sit with lunch with people and I'll ask a girl, where are you from? Lithuania. You're telling me you got on a plane from Lithuania to come to this conference? Think of the influence of that church to reach to, you know, from the United States to Lithuania. Anna talked about the coffee house we started in Ardmore, that little beachhead that God can use because we'll be salt and light in a city on a hill. When we bought this property here, uh, we were a little naive because uh, the contractors came and said, you brought a beautiful piece of property. If you could ever build it, you'll be a city on a hill. But it's going to take millions of dollars to excavate this, man. I don't think you guys know what you got into. And long story short, a recession came, and we were able to get the price down, and we got here. And my gosh, we will never know the influence that we've all had collectively and individually. You, if you know Christ, are an influencer. You're an influencer. You're influencing culture. I married a couple yesterday. And right when I pronounced the man and wife, I said, here's my final admonition. I read a book this week and I heard a TED talk of a woman who lost her husband at the age of 55. She downsized her life and increased her lifestyle. And I said, man, I should get all the royalties because I've been telling people that stand before me before I marry them my entire life. Don't wait till you're 55 to downsize. You're already downsized now. You're already downsized now. You don't own a home and you don't have a bunch of furniture and all this stuff people that are 55 have. And if you can retain what you have right now, the love for one another and the love for God, you will do well. Jesus came to bring us the upside down kingdom. It's not about power, money, and recognition. It's not about climbing the ladder. It's about coming down. It's about being salt, light, and a city on a hill. And here's the payoff. The payoff is, I read it for you, 
Men will revile you and persecute you. And in some parts of the world, that means you'll lose your life. In this part of the world, it means they'll make fun of you. They'll have boats and cars and fancy things you won't have. And they'll laugh at it for they'll laugh at you for giving and serving and going to church. That's one part of it. The back end bookend is they will glorify your Father in heaven when they see your good works. That's the bookends. That's why Paul said, wherever we go, we have the aroma of life to those who are being saved and the aroma of death to those who are perishing. Someone who's in their sweet spot, being salt and light and a city on a hill, some will reject and some will accept. That's about where we need to be. Paul experienced it. The Philippian jailer, Lydia by the sea, a girl who was demon-possessed, all accepted. And the intelligentsia in Athens all rejected. That's about where we want to be, guys. If you can leave this long with anything, you are an influencer. In you is the truth, the life, the way to God. And we just got to get it out. We got to get it out as a church. We got to get it out as a family. Your house can be a place of influence. Your job can be a place of influence. You are an influencer. You just don't know it. And you just got to take a step. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And no kingdom on this earth will come against him. For 2,000 years, it's come true. Wednesday night, we stand up, we say the Apostles' Creed, and we join people for 2,000 years, and everything but the kitchen sink's been thrown at the church, and God still has his way because God still loves people. I want to close this service by saying this. Become an influencer. Become an influencer. People are watching you. But because we're outside and we do this all through the summer, and this is our last service of the year, and we have a pool here, I want to do what I always do when we're outside. If you want to trade in religion, and that's what the Sermon on the Mount was, trading in religion for a relationship with God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to shed light on human sexuality, on money and power and relationships. And he's going to say, unless your righteousness exceeds the religious leaders, you'll never see God's kingdom. If you want to trade in religion today for a relationship with Christ, all you need to do when we sing this final song is come down and we'll pray with you if you're sincere. Second thing we always offer is baptism. Uh, baptism is not salvation. Maybe you grew up in a church where it was. Maybe you grew up in a church where babies were baptized. Everyone in the Bible was an adult. Everyone was cognizant. Everyone knew the decision they were making. It is an outward picture of an inward reality of trading in religion for a relationship with God. Just like Christ died, you die in the water of baptism, you come up a brand new creation and you say before all these people publicly, I follow God now. If you knew God at one time, but you're far from him today, love to pray with you. Love to talk with you over a cup of coffee. If you want to get baptized as a, as a point of demarcation, that's all good too. The beauty about today is hopefully uh, we're hanging around. 
So I'm going to walk right in front of this pool. There's an aisle here. You come from any direction. If you meet any of those three criteria, love to hear your story, love to baptize you, love to pray with you. So worship team, if you can play, I'll go down and wait. We'll see what God does.